we have this expectation that we just work by default work 70 hours a week during busy season right and and no one question i mean we question we complain about it but no one ever says why why are we doing this why have we structured our fees in such a way that this is a necessity for this business to survive hey this is allison welcome to under withheld the podcast by accountants and for accountants where we talk about our ubiquitous professional and personal struggles you are not alone this episode is a conversation I had with crypto tax expert Matt Metris. Matt is a New York tax advisor focused on clients in the cryptocurrency space. While many tax professionals are just dipping their toes into the crypto waters, Matt is a leading commentator in this emerging and quickly evolving area of taxation. Matt regularly provides both formal and informal continuing education for other tax pros. As you can imagine, he's been quite busy the last several years. Matt and I tackled the accounting profession's perennial issue of work-life balance, or maybe we call it work-life harmony, or work-life integration, or maybe it's boundary setting. At this point, the labels we use are probably all cliched. The problem these phrases describe, though, is real. If you Google work-life balance plus accounting, there's no shortage of pages that pop up. It's on all our minds. In an industry that has become ever increasingly understaffed, and overwhelmed? How do we take care of our clients and colleagues while also taking care of ourselves and our families? Spoiler alert, Matt and I don't arrive at any hard and fast answers here. It's just two accountants talking about a real and hard problem. In case it needs to be said, I nor my guests are therapists. We are not offering therapy. We also may say things that just don't resonate with you, and if so, that's totally cool. There's nothing prescriptive here. It's just colleagues talking about an issue that we see as huge in our industry, and we hope talking about it and sharing how we approach it will help someone else. If something sounds helpful to you here, cool. If not, just ignore it. Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Hey, Allison. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderful today. I got very little sleep. And so here we are chipper first thing in the morning <laughs> recording this. No, my my son slept at his or mostly slept at his grandmother's house last night and decided at midnight that he wanted to come home. So I had to go pick him up at, at 12 in the morning and bring him back home. But all good. All good. He got to sleep in his bed and and I got a few hours of sleep. I, I meant was your chipper self the result of caffeine? Oh no, that's <laughs> not. I'm not there yet either. I, I, you can see I'm working on it. But... That was still sarcasm. How, well, old your, how old is your son? <laughs> He's ten. He's ten. <laughs> was yeah. this uh, one of his first times away, or no? He's usually he normally, you know, sleeps there frequently. But just last night didn't didn't vibe for him, and and so we went and got him, and uh, it all worked out. Oh, I'm sure he was very happy to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm very happy for this caffeine this morning. So as we <laughs> progress. The well, firstly, thanks for taking time with me. Thanks for being on the podcast. We're going to talk about boundaries, work-life balance, work-life harmony. I think a lot of people call it a lot of different things. But first, I know you have a lot going on in your life, both personally and professionally. Tell us your story, Matt. I came to tax 
from a non-traditional route, I went to film school and I worked in the film industry for a number of years. So I had that exposure to working 100 hour, 120 hour <laughs> weeks. And I really burnt out on it, right? I didn't, mm. I decided I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life. And uh, coincidentally, around the same time that I was questioning all of my life decisions, my dad, who had done taxes for his entire life for 30, 40 years at that point, was having a bone marrow transplant. He was having, he had cancer a number of times. And so... <sighs> He had a bone marrow transplant during tax season, which, as you can imagine, uh, was not the easiest thing to manage. So I just jumped in to help, you know, plug numbers into forms and that sort of thing and, and sort of started learning that way in my early 20s how to do taxes. And it's just sort of expanded from there. I picked up some some clients. Unfortunately, it was the clients he didn't want that he pawned <laughs> off onto me. But that's also a good learning experience, right? Because if you have the most problematic clients to start with, everything else seems easier. And then from there, just sort of grew my practice for the longest time, and really until my son was born, I worked a full-time job in addition to doing taxes, like on nights and weekends. And then when he was born, I went the stay-at-home dad route and started building the business a little bit more. I got my EA in 2017 and really devoted myself full-time to it then. So I've been doing it for almost 20 years, but really full-time, it's, it's been six or seven years. And in that same time around 2017 is when the crypto space really started taking off, which is how I got into crypto tax. A friend of mine, you know, showed me cryptocurrency. I really had no idea about it. And I started putting my own money into it first. And then later on, I was like, what about the tax consequences? Of this <laughs> and, and it's embarrassing as a tax professional that I never thought about it. I'm like, ooh, free money, free internet money. And the IRS, you know, really had no guidance at the time other than one notice that had covered very little. And so just started learning everything I can, talking with other professionals and really just building up a practice focused around cryptocurrency. So hopefully, you know, we, we question if cryptocurrency will be here in the long haul. I hope it is because a lot of my work is built around it. But I've been doing that. And, and this past year has just been insane as far as work goes and the amount of potential clients reaching out to me and have for the first time ever gotten to the point in my career where I've turned off the intake valve, right? I'm just uh, flat out mm -hmm. saying no to everyone who comes in. And then on top of that, like I have all these volunteer part-time other things that don't really pay money. I, I do the tequila thing and I do a YouTube series with that. And I was teaching classes. My brother owns a Mexican restaurant. So I was teaching classes there once a month. And I've recently given that up just to, to try to reclaim some of my time. I'm also a... Um, school board member. So I've been doing that for five years as well. And that that's almost a, it's a volunteer position. We don't get paid, but it's almost a 40 hour a week job in and of itself. And I'm very fortunate uh -huh. being self-employed that I can sort of rearrange my schedule as necessary to meet my, my school board obligations. But it, it can be very difficult if you're working a traditional nine to five type job and trying to balance that as well. Matt, I think what I'm hearing in all this and correct me is that since your time in the film industry, you've just been drinking from a hose. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I say I'm burning the candle at all the ends because it's more <laughs> than both. And occasionally sleeping, right? And, and it's, my wife's downstairs. I can go pull her up here and she'll tell us how, how She's much. She's going to make a cameo in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> how many things are on my plate and how little free time I have. And, and this year, this tax season, I don't know about you, but for me, this was probably the most miserable tax season mm. I've ever had. And it's really pushing me to sort of reclaim some of, reinforce the boundaries and reclaim my own life and have some time for myself in there and my family as well. Do you want to talk about that? 
yeah, totally. So, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that, you know, my son's at an age where I, I'm, when I'm in my office 12 hours a day, seven days a week mm. during tax season, I'm not, I'm, I'm missing him grow up. Right. And it's being a small business owner, being self-employed is, is so difficult to say no when new work presents itself, because you just don't know, like, okay, I have enough work to get me through the next two weeks, three weeks, two months, whatever. And then who knows what's after that, right? And the, the seasonal nature of our work, I make 75% of my revenue in January to April. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the year, at least it used to be, you know, it used to be from April 15th to really early September, there wasn't a ton to do, you know, you know, some basic bookkeeping and stuff and not working full time, enjoying summer, which was a great mix. And then ever since 2020 happened, really, when the, the extended deadline in 2020 that pushed it out till July sort of just drew out tax season for the full year. And then with PPP and EIDL and all the stimulus payments and everything else, like it just never ended. And it feels like it still hasn't ended. And so I went into that this tax season with roughly the same number of clients that I've had historically, right? I've been mm -hmm. able to do 250, 300 returns doing during tax season. But the big difference this year is that every return has taken two or three times longer than it yeah. normally does. And so I, at this point in the year, have only gotten like 225 returns done. I still have another 75 or so on extension at the point where I need to be done. And the ones that are left are some of the hardest ones, unfortunately. So they're going to take the most amount of time because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know I've, yeah. I've cherry picked the easy ones. I, I know that that's my fault. But between the IRS issues, those things, you know, and the way the crypto space has grown, the crypto has just continued to expand exponentially. And the tools that we use to do those reconciliations for the tax return have not kept pace. So those are taking mm. a lot more time mm -hmm. as well. So this is really this year has pushed me to the point where I have just declared I am going to reclaim my weekends next year. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but I, I have been keeping a list of, of clients that need to be shown the door. And that's a hard thing too, because some of these people I've worked with for five, 10 years, you know, and it's just oh, yeah. not, you know, and, and unfortunately some of these legacy clients are some of the lowest paying ones, right? Because I didn't, when I first started, I didn't value my work product high enough. And so when I bring in a new client now, it's easy to bring them in at the current rates that I'm charging people. But if I have someone who's paying half that, you can't double their bill and, and not have that be a really difficult conversation. So it's really a, a tough position to navigate, to try and figure out what, what work to keep, what work not to keep, and always keeping in mind, I don't know what's going to happen next year, right? The government could ban crypto or something crazy. And then I lose 75% of my client base. And then what do I do? I, I'll probably hit up tax Twitter and get hired by somebody else <laughs> for a job. But I do really appreciate, you know, the, the flexible schedule I have now. And I think, you know, we, you and I, we had a conversation a few weeks ago and we talked about like, is it to the point where I should be bringing in more people to my firm and hiring people? And I just don't know that that's the direction I want to go hmm. right now. I like being self-employed. I like not managing people. I like being able to drop everything on a dime and go do something, knowing that there's a consequence for that later of not having done the work. But it's such a difficult decision to make because you're take it's one thing to have responsibility for me and my own finances and my own success but to bring other people in and be responsible for their livelihood too is really daunting task to me that that totally makes sense so you were saying that you want to get those weekends back 
one of the things I'm going to do is, is cut down on my client list. There's no choice, right? I can't give the same quality service to as many people now as I used to. It just, the delays of the IRS, the unnecessary and erroneous notices that are being sent out and that need to be answered, those all take time, right? And your clients expect you to have the answers to these questions or get on the phone and, and try and call the IRS, which is a nightmare in and of itself. So you just can't provide the same high quality service to the same number of people anymore, which means you have to service fewer people, which means you have to charge more per person that you service if you wanna make the same amount of money, which is, okay, that's the math equation, fine. So we did figuring out who you're not gonna service anymore, like I said, is the, is the really difficult part. I think the other thing that, that I struggle with is, is setting and maintaining expectations. My plan going into this coming year is in January to let everyone know it's more likely than not that your return is going to go on extension. It's one thing to tell everybody April 13th that they're going on extension. And it's one thing to tell them in January. So they're ready for it and focused on it. It was, it was really tough this year because I just, I, my goal was to not put as many returns on extension as I did, but I got to the point where it's okay. It's a week before the deadline. What am I going to do? I got to extend all these returns. I can't get them done. There's just not enough time in the day. And I think that will help just just managing those expectations of the clients being communicative is another thing that is is a struggle because a lot of days i have to choose between answering my email or actually doing work and the more time i spend responding to status requests and answering emails the less time i actually do tax returns and that is something that i'm i'm looking at using some automation in my, in, I have a portal system and you know, you can set different stages and you can set automated emails to go out when you move things, you know, you move the client between stages and it'll say, this is, it's like, you know, the Domino's pizza tracker or whatever, like, here's where your order is right now. It's out for the, you know, so that I think that might help, but really it's just a lot about helping clients understand what a dumpster mm -hmm. fire this has become, because a lot of them have not changed their expectations around the understaffing at the IRS around why they're getting these notices when, when a client gets a notice that shouldn't have ever been sent their first thought is that i screwed up and oh, did sure. something wrong yeah and so immediately i'm on the defensive as far as explaining why they got this notice explaining that the irs is chronically underfunded and they haven't processed 20 million returns or whatever the current number is and we've all seen pictures of like the, the campus at Austin where the cafeteria is full of paper that needs to be processed and explaining your, yeah, your return or your letter, your response to that letter is in that pile somewhere. And yeah. they've made it so we can't call them. So we used to be able to make <laughs> yeah. a quick phone call, resolve these things relatively quickly. Now you spend hours on hold, even on our special practitioner line. And if you get through, the person might not even be able to help you. Oh, the computers are down today or oh, know, yeah. not. You need to give us another 90 days or whatever. And it's just super frustrating because your clients expect answers and you can't really provide them for them. I'm trying to call the same unit of the IRS over and over all week long. Nothing, nothing. Just, you know, first thing in the morning, middle of the day, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's we're busy. We can't answer calls. I think we've protected our clients for as much as we can, for as long as we can. And now it's just, it's a deluge. It really is. and and. You know, this, we had this debate on tax Twitter a week or two ago around how much we should insulate our clients from this process, right? Like if mm. we're, if we're the saviors and constantly fixing things and they don't realize how bad it is, then they don't a appreciate what we're doing, but B they're not, they're less likely to complain to their congressperson, right? Yeah, who's, sure. the, who's the one who can fix this. If they have to share in some of the discomfort, yes. 
around engaging with the IRS, they're much more likely to send an email to their senator or their representative and say, look, we need even just the basic funding. We need, you know, and we're seeing some very, very small technical optimizations coming out of IRS. But when you look at some of the state agencies and the things that you can resolve online there compared to the IRS, it's night and day. And it's just that the IRS never had the funding to do it. And we're sort of stuck translating between a 1970s computer system and our clients and explaining these letters that are often vague or just flat out wrong. I want to ask you a question, Matt. It's been years for you now, really, that you've just been working hard and working a lot, working long hours, work that is already mentally fatiguing, but you're doing it at a level and a place with your emphasis in crypto taxation where you're really having to come up with, if you will, best practices all on your own. Maybe not quite on your own, but there's not a ton of people in the crypto tax space. So I think what I'm getting to is, you know, just kind of this nonstop. And I know you've got some things in place that you're thinking about doing or are doing, but maybe over this period, do you have some things that you've tried that have been helpful for you and some things that you've tried that have not been helpful for you in terms of having work-life balance, work-life harmony, setting boundaries, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think I'll start with what hasn't worked because <laughs> there's a lot of that. And and a lot of it is just like is committing to to doing it and putting a procedure in place to do it, right? Because if I say um, I'm only going to work until six o'clock, I have, I have to actually stop at six o'clock, right? If I'm laying in bed at nine and I'm still answering email on my phone, that is not really effective. Because mm. I'm, especially, I you know, I work from home. So I, my, it's a you know four-step commute to my office. And so I'm always at work. It's very difficult. You know, if, when I used to work in an office, at least you can leave some of that emotional and mental baggage at the office. But if you're always at the office, and you know, with the advent of smartphones and, and having 24 seven accessibility, that is very, very difficult to, to self-manage, especially if you're the one in charge and you wanna provide that excellent customer service, right? Enforcing those boundaries. I, so one of the things that has worked is I used to run my business completely from my cell phone. I still do, but all of my clients had my personal cell phone number. Mm. And that, People will push the lines. I had clients calling me at eleven o'clock midnight, and I'm sure. like, "What is what is wrong with you? Like, what do you, think, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't call your doctor or your lawyer at midnight and expect mm. them to answer. Maybe you would. I don't know. And that particular client, who is no longer a client, I should say former client, was the same one who would show up at my house on October fifteenth without an appointment and you know four inches of of materials. And so that you know realizing that not every client is a good fit for you is helpful. I, I mentioned I was using my cell phone. I went and got a Google voice number that I pay for and I transitioned everything over to that. That number turns off at 5 p.m. So if you call me <sighs> after 5 p.m., it doesn't ring through. You get the voicemail, problem solved or, or problem solved-ish, you know, because a lot of people still have the old number, which is a whole different story. That way people can text there too. The texts get copied to my email. I don't have to manage text because clients love to text, right? You text my personal phone and it, it just moves down. Eventually you forget to respond to it. Those things have been really practical. I have a service. It's not even a service, it's like a plugin. You know, I use a, a Google suite kind of email for my domain. You can, I can pause my inbox or I can set my inbox to not display new emails. Ah, okay. I want to really crank out some work and not be distracted because a lot of times 
emails just trickle in 24 seven, right? And, you, and a lot of them like, oh, I can answer this real quick. But you don't think about how much you're disrupting your train of thought. You know, I'm in the middle of a return, I'm doing something complex, I see this email pop up, I'm like, oh, let me answer it real quick, because it's a distraction. And anything that's a distraction is great. You know, I, that's why I go on Twitter for the same reason I want to not work <laughs> right. for 10 minutes, I'm right. going to go see what's going on over there. So pausing the inbox is really helpful. This about two years ago, I started requiring all of my phone calls to be scheduled in advance. And that allows me to, again, have these blocks of time where I work, you know, not every client was super receptive to it, but it's something that had to be done. I usually I have availability within the next day or two, go on the calendar, click a link and I'll give you a call and we'll talk all you want. Right. But like having calls come in while I'm trying to focus on something really disrupts the train. of. And I also implemented a fee for a consult for a new client. And that I, I found, especially early in the crypto days, I would go on podcasts and YouTube things. And like you said, there's not a lot of people doing this work. So people would watch these videos and then they would all call with their really simple question, right? Oh, sure. And it's like- It's just a quick question. <laughs> and a lot of times it was, it even a lot of times even it was an easy question, but I was answering all those for free and I was mm -hmm. answering those all the time. And I was always on the phone, always. And I'm like, my mentality at that point in time was, okay, I'm gonna answer this for free as a, a sales, you know, loss leader sure. kind of thing. And it turned out I was spending so much time on the phone that I was also struggling to get work done. And I'm, I'm borderline Gen X millennial. I don't wanna talk on the phone. I'd much rather email, <laughs> yeah. text, but yeah. you know, people who wanna talk on the phone all day, I just, I, it's always that I have a quick question I'm like, okay, tell me what it is ahead of time. And that's another thing with the scheduling of calls. Tell me why you want to talk. Because yeah. half the time the phone call says, well, I want to do X. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have to research that and get back to you because I don't have the entire tax code memorized. And we'll have to look at how this has been treated elsewhere. And so a lot of that gets avoided by having the question already written out for you. And again, summarized in email, you can go back to it later. So if, if you call me up on the phone and we have our quick conversation, I either have to take contemporaneous notes and store them somewhere and know to look at them later on, which A, I'm not going to do and B, I will, you know, I still won't know what's going on. Or if I go back to our email thread as an alternative, then I can see, you know, what we talked about and why and jog my memory a little bit instead of having to remember why, you know, we, we chose to do this thing the way we did in the heat of taxis and making a decision at 10 PM, you know? So a lot of the things that you've just been talking about are very helpful in the space of I'm self-employed, I work for myself, here's how I'm setting, enforcing boundaries, here's what's working for me, here's what's not. Do you perhaps have any thoughts for folks that might have less control over their situation, folks that are employees working for someone else at an accounting firm, in industry, something like that? Yeah, that's a much tougher situation, right? Because I do have all the control in, in what happens in my practice. I, I think the only advice I can offer is to realize what a valuable asset you are as a trained tax professional right now. And that very much the it is it's a buyer's market when it comes to employment. We're seeing a good seller's market. Seller's market, yeah. But who's the buyer? Who's the seller? <laughs> employer. It's not their market right now. No, no, you're right. It's the opposite. It's the, I'm going to say it's the employee's market. We're seeing tons of, you know, we already know that in accounting, the average age of the accountant skews much older than a lot of other industries. Yeah. And we see that our 
our industry is particularly top heavy as far as age wise goes and, and there's not a lot of replacement coming into the pipeline so there there's if we're not already in it there's an impending accountant shortage in the near future so realizing the value of your labor and and knowing what practices are toxic and not you know we we have this expectation that we just work by default work 70 hours a week during busy season right and and no one question I mean we question we complain about it but no one ever says why why are we doing this why have we structured our fees in such a way that this is a necessity for this business to survive and so i think you know being open with your employer around your expectations is is probably the best bet there you know it's all all comes down to your personal situation i know i've been in situations where i've worked jobs that i wasn't really thrilled about and i didn't have a lot of leverage and i also mm -hmm. had to pay my mortgage still and and so i get that right you can't always be as forthcoming with you know negotiations and and that sort of thing but realizing your worth and you know there's always it, it seems like constantly when we look at at twitter and facebook there's constantly postings for new positions so you know now is the time to leverage the the power that you have to get at least somewhat better working conditions if you're unhappy with what you're doing now i think i think other people might be interested to hear how this looks from your family's perspective when you're working seven days a week 12 hours a day how do they feel how does how you approach your job impact your family absolutely and you know i'm i'm very fortunate because my family is super supportive of of this right but that does not mean it's not stressful you know especially during the busy season you know i don't see the inside of a grocery store my my son is involved in tons of extracurriculars and my wife carries that like completely but she's got her own stuff going on she's you know a professional with her own career and she does a great job of of picking up that slack but we have really we communicate a lot, right? And we t make sure we're on the same page. We make sure we're, that each other's feeling heard and understood about the things that are stressing us. And and it is really difficult to, to detach from the work life. One of the things that we do as a specific is, is during busy season, we usually on Wednesdays do a date night while my son's at one of his extracurricular activities. There's a bar right next door, so we both take him. We go have a drink, we reconnect a little bit, but it's taken us a long time to get to this place as well. And we've definitely struggled over the years and it's, it's absolutely put stress on our relationship. And we've, we've overcome that with lots of communication and solid communication. And I think we've both grown in that aspect of making sure that things are covered. And then when I'm less busy during the summer and, and the fall or, or whatever, I try to do more than my fair share, like around the house and that sort of thing, and, and try to alleviate, take some of that off of her plate. You know, she's, she's an educator, so her work is, is somewhat seasonal as well. Uh, and she has busier times in September and, and also now at the end of the year. So like the more that I can do, making sure stuff gets done, making sure our kiddo gets run around where he needs to be. You know, I, I do my best to try to put in my, my portion of our relationship and domestic stuff that is really boring at sometimes, you know, I make sure the laundry's done. But yeah, we have, we're a great team and, you know, I, I couldn't be more lucky in that department. Is there anything else you would like to share with folks who are listening about setting boundaries, maintaining boundaries, having work-life balance that you can sustain anything? Yeah, I think one thing that that comes to mind is is you know working alone 
-hmm. it gets really lonely sometimes, right? And I have a few friends that I can reach out to during the day, but most of my friends have jobs, right? I can't call them up at 11 in the morning and say, hey, you want to get lunch? So having online communities like Twitter, there's a, a tax pro discord that I spend some time in and like just having that outlet is, is really beneficial for me, both for education, right? I learn a ton being on Twitter, but you know, being on Twitter and engaging with people and meet cool people like you and all of everybody else on tax Twitter, that's yeah. doing these amazing things, right? Like this isn't part of your job, you know, and, and you're putting together this awesome show. And, and the first episode came out a couple of weeks ago and really I had some great takeaways and, and, you know, I've been doing this a long time and, and I, that was about imposter syndrome. And I've struggled with that because again, there's no check and balance when you work by yourself, you yeah, only get yeah. the feedback you get. I don't have a manager who reviews my work and tells me that I did something right or wrong. So I, as long as I don't get a notice on it, I assume that it went, that it was correct. Yay. Right? Statue of uh, limitations ran. I'm, I'm good. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Can delete those 2017 files. Yeah. But yeah, so that is just having an outlet like that is super helpful. And, you know, just committing to the things that I want to improve. And, and even if it's granular, putting in those processes to incrementally make things control more of my time that that's, you know, you can't take a practice that you've been doing for 20 years and just flip it 180 on a diamond. And I've had mm -hmm. that conversation on Twitter with a lot of people too. They're like, Oh, you need to completely do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I can't fire hundred percent of my clients today and start over tomorrow because you know, that I, I need to live. And so it's all, it's all gradual. You know, every year I get word, get rid of the, you know, the bottom of the, the people who have caused me the most stress during the year. And, you know, if, if there's, there's different tiers of clients and not, and, and they're not necessarily a bad client. They're just not a good fit for me. Right. Like sure. I, I like the portal. I like email and I have clients who want to bring all their papers and sit down across the desk and have a oh, cup yeah. of coffee and do their tax. And that's not my style. And that's fine. Like we can find you someone who will do that with you. And it's not, it's not me. And you know, I'm all digital. I don't want to touch paper if I can help it. And that was another thing that I just, I just added this year, I added a surcharge for handling paper to deter people from not using the portal because everything is so streamlined and the more streamlined I can get it, the more efficient it will be. And the less time I will actually spend at work. And that's really the ultimate goal. I think. That's a wrap, my friends. Reach out and let me know what you think. I appreciate you listening in to this episode of Under Withheld, the podcast by accountants and for accountants, where we talk about our ubiquitous professional and personal struggles. You are not alone.